0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Kali Kachali. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Or uh, Kale Kachali. Regardless, uh, Cali Kachali or Kale Kachali uh, tweets, Thanks, Richard. I love your show. Always wait for your podcasts every week all the way from Nairobi, Kenya. So uh, I thought it was appropriate we send a little love out to to Kayleigh Kachali in Nairobi. Thanks for listening, and uh, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium and the Conspiracy Show. My name, of course, Richard Serrett. Regular listeners to this program are familiar with my media scientist friend Nelson Thal, archivist, the official archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, and Nelson's a regular contributor is actually, we began a new segment with Nelson here on the Conspiracy Show. It's called State Secrets. And one of the things that Nelson is very fond of saying, you might even call it his his catchphrase, is, we are standing on the shoulders of giants, which is, of, of course, sort of a paraphrase of a quote from Sir Isaac Newton, who said, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. In other words, Newton was simply stating that he was building on previous discoveries, primarily the ancient scholars of of Rome and Greece. Standing on the Shoulders of Giants is the name of the fourth studio album by English rock band Oasis, which was released on the 28th of February, 2000. Well, tonight on The Conspiracy Show, you're going to hear a lot about giants. We're not talking about the album by Oasis or Isaac Newton. I'm not talking about the football team from New York or the baseball team from San Francisco. I'm talking about the monsters of human appearance, but prodigious size and strength common in the mythology and legends of many different cultures. There are also accounts, of course, of giants in the Old Testament, most famously Goliath. Attributed to them are extraordinary strength and physical proportions. Now, you may know about giants from fairy tales, such as Jack the Giant Killer, which have really formed our modern perception of giants as stupid and violent monsters sometimes said to eat humans, especially children. Though this is actually a confusion with ogres, which are distinctly cannibalistic. But we're not talking about fairy tales tonight. My guest is here to shatter the mainstream academic teachings on the subject of giants and take us all on an exciting journey of discovery. For example, it may shock, surprise, perhaps even delight you to learn That thousands of years ago, sorry, uh, thousands of giant skeletons have been unearthed at mound builder sites across North America, only to disappear from the historical record. And that North America was once ruled by an advanced race of giants. You heard me correctly. But wait, it gets better. We're also about, about to learn how the Smithsonian has been actively suppressing the physical evidence for nearly 150 years, Richard J. Dewhurst is the author of *The Ancient Giants Who Ruled America*, *The Missing Skeletons*, and *The Great Smithsonian Cover-Up*. Richard is the Emmy Award-winning writer of the HBO feature documentary *Dear America: Letters, from Ho- Letters Home from Vietnam*. He's a graduate of NYU with degrees in journalism, film, and television. He's written and edited for the History Channel, A&E, PBS, Fox, and ABC News. He lives in the Green Mountain State, beautiful Vermont. And if that's not enough, he's got a pretty fine first name. And if I do say so, Richard Dewhurst, welcome aboard the Conspiracy Show. How are you?
1: I'm very good, Richard. And It's a real pleasure to be on your show. The, Love your introduction.
0: The ancient giants who ruled America. Now, I understand you're kind of a tall glass of water yourself. Is that why you're interested in giants?
1: Well, that's how it started. Yep. I'm six foot six. And, uh, you know, it became a fascination of mine when I became uh, tall. And over the years as a journalist and a documentary filmmaker, I began a little fortian file of uh, giant stories. And whenever I ran across them, I would file it away. And generally, they were anecdotal or at most a capsulized reference to some find. And Several years ago, I decided I was going to get to the bottom of the thing, so I subscribed to a couple of online newspaper archive services, and they covered hundreds of years of newspaper reports, primarily in the United States. And with the help of word search, I all of a sudden began to uncover hundreds of giant stories. And by the time I got done researching state historical archives, I had giant stories in every state in the Union well-sourced, authentic, museum involvement, and often with the Smithsonian, either at the front end or at the back end, requiring the skeletons to be sent there, only to disappear from history.
0: Well, you mentioned newspaper accounts, and I recall reading, uh, I believe it was, it might have been the New York Herald or might have even been the Times, talking about these skeletons unearthed at what, um, are referred to as these mound builder sites back in the, uh, the 19th century sometimes. And people dismiss those accounts. They say, well, that was back in the day when, you know, when yellow journalism reigned supreme across the land and, and the New York Herald and, and so forth. They, they were more like today's National Enquirer. So the fact that they appeared in newspaper accounts, do we necessarily take that at face value or what's the next step well, from no. there?
1: and uh as i said i mean i i had literally hundreds of of these articles and i went through them for specifically uh articles that uh had uh references to major uh museums universities professors or multiple witnesses uh in a town and uh, once i began um compiling them uh, there was a certain internal consistency to the accounts that it became very hard to ignore. Um, the burial uh, customs uh, would be the same. The kind of artifacts that are found uh, in association with the mound builders were very specific, and I tried to include them in the book so that you could see that these weren't just um, made-up stories of some giant somewhere. And Perhaps one of the most Uh, surprising things in my research was a a quote i ran across from uh, abraham lincoln in 1848 and he was making a speech up in your neck of the woods at niagara falls and the exact quote is the eyes of that species of extinct giant whose bones fill the mounds of america have gazed on niagara as ours do now and that's an amazing quote
0: that is reason. that I mean that's uh, that's jaw-dropping I've never heard that attributed to Abraham Lincoln that's remarkable
1: yep and um, it's remarkable a because it's Abraham Lincoln <laughs> it's remarkable B because it indicates how widespread this knowledge in the 19th century was uh, we were an agrarian society we were moving west we were plowing the fields and Everywhere these bones were turning up, and it was common knowledge. When you start to read the articles that I've compiled in here, you see that there's a a real familiarity on the part of the writers often um, that that this is not an an uncommon occurrence. Another reason the quote is amazing is that uh, a huge giant city was found uh, on the um, Ontario border of the United States in Dunville, On the Grand River.
0: Yes, not too far from my hometown.
1: And um, not only did they find multiple giants, but they found houses with chimneys and a blacksmith shop with two tons of charcoal and evidence of gold and silver work.
0: Well, before we get into, you know, how the Smithsonian or how orthodox academia has suppressed this information, because, I mean, that's pretty amazing how how you hide something this large but yeah. but let's let's take a few moments and, and talk about what we mean by giants uh when i think of giants you know we, and, and many of us uh you know we learned in in sunday school uh, about uh david versus goliath or moses sending his spies joshua into canaan and and discovering you know giants and mm-hmm. so forth what, what what are we talking about the same kind of giants here
1: yeah we are As far as being able to figure out, Goliath in the Bible was supposed to be 11 feet tall. We have numerous uh, 10- to 12-foot finds. The cutoff I'm using primarily in the book is 7 feet. And I would say that over half the finds are between 7 and 9 feet. And then there are 12-foot finds all the way from Minnesota to Louisiana out uh, west.
0: Come again. Did you say 12 feet?
1: Pardon me?
0: I say, did you say 12 feet? 12 feet. My word.
1: And uh, then there's one very uh, credible uh, find that was made on the Indiana-Ohio border of a giant 18 feet tall. It was witnessed by all the townspeople. Uh, It was uh, attested to by the mayor and the local physician and the Uh, It was found in association with a nine-foot sword and an iron helmet that the writer characterized as as resembling uh, an Assyrian-made helmet from Nineveh. And uh, in that case, the bones were sent to New York and disappeared again.
0: (laughs) But... uh... You, I mean, you, you're a journalist. I mean, you, I am. you're an Emmy Award-winning writer. You've, you've worked for ABC News. You've written for the Miami Herald. Right. Uh, when this information is, I mean, this is the stuff that, that can get you laughed out of a newsroom pretty quickly. How did you deal with this information, and did you share it with your colleagues?
1: Yes, and everyone thought I was nuts. <laughs> to put it in a nutshell, I, I started saying you wouldn't believe the, the um Kind of credible articles I'm reading here about giants, and, and they would say, "Oh, that's ridiculous! You know, who says who? You know, prove it! I don't believe a word you're saying. You know, malarkey, You know." So finally, I, I decided, well, in order to make the book credible and um, for people to have an opportunity to read what I'm reading, I'm going to compile these articles and and you can make up your mind for yourself.
0: And you've done a pretty fine job, uh, Richard. The ancient giants who ruled America, the missing skeletons and the great Smithsonian cover-up. More of my conversation with Richard J. Dewhurst on the other side. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. When I was 12, uh, for Christmas, I received my first uh, copy of uh, the Guinness World Book of Records. And I was fascinated by the life and times of Robert Wadlow, who was also known as the Alton Giant or the Illinois Giant, uh, who is the tallest man uh, in medical history, <laughs> up until, of course, we met Roger, uh, Richard Dewhurst, but r- uh, r- uh, Robert Wadlow was 8 feet eleven and a half inches. Now, the poor fellow, he needed braces, uh, leg braces, in order to walk. He never used a wheelchair, but he had braces because he had very little feeling in his legs or his feet. He had autoimmune disease. He died when he was 22, always rather sickly. Uh, despite his tremendous height. But imagine thousands of Robert Wadlow's, healthy Robert Wadlow's, roaming the North American continent and ruling the land. This is the subject of Richard Dewhurst's book, The Ancient Giants Who Ruled America, The Missing Skeletons and the Great Smithsonian Cover-Up. So let's get back to uh, what these giants um, uh, looked like again, uh, Richard. Now, these were... Well, first of all, they're, they're found primarily in these mound burial sites. Let's take a few moments and explain what mound burial sites are.
1: Well, the um, Smithsonian itself estimates that in in the United States there were several hundred thousand mounds and and that required the work of millions of people and and this mound culture was uh, pervasive all the way across North America. As a matter of fact, it's worldwide. Uh, We can get into that later, but um, it reached its apogee and fell somewhere around 1200 to 1400 A.D. And subsequent to that, uh, we have then the Indians that uh, we're so so familiar with. But um, throughout all the research I did and all the interviews that were conducted with the Indians uh, when asked about the mounds and and various other anomalous uh, ancient uh, walls, dams, all kinds of things, the Indians always said, uh, we didn't do this. Um, the Giants did. And this was, you know, constantly dismissed as, you know, uh, aboriginal savages with, you know, um, childish viewpoints and all these, you know, dismissive Victorian <laughs> uh, epithets that, that we've all heard. But, in, in fact, uh, the mound builder culture was, was highly sophisticated. And within all these mounds, generally, uh, you find a royal burial Um, of a giant or multiple giants and uh, they're often covered in copper, copper crowns copper armor, copper and mica jewelry, copper bracelets sophisticated grave goods Um, this was not um, a savage culture at all as a matter of fact constantly in, in, in the reports it refers to the higher degree of craftsmanship associated with the uh, remains found in these mounds.
0: Uh, did the, the Native North Americans at that time, did they fear the giants? Did they war with them?
1: Um, the only account that I really found of... Well, uh, by and large, most of the observations about the mound builder culture, they, they always note that they're not defensive ramparts. They don't really appear. They appear to have been in a pastoral, agricultural... Uh, society, um, many of the mounds were what, what was called effigy mounds, which are pictorial mounds, and um, in certain parts of the country, especially in the Midwest, and, and a huge amount of them, uh, surprisingly up in Wisconsin, um, the, the landscape is literally covered with these things. Uh, deer, birds, lizards, uh, mastodons, elephants, <laughs> people, crosses, uh, literally, the landscape was was um, cultivated in, in a uh, highly sacred manner, it seems. Now, on the other hand, there are stories of, of uh, there's a story of a giant war that uh, involved the Leningo Lenape Indians and the Menengue, and uh, the... Uh, Story uh, says that the Lenape were originally out west, and as a result of a volcanic uh, disaster, they were forced to move east. And when they came across the Mississippi River, they engaged with the Algonquian Indians, which was another race of giants, and uh, engaged in an epic battle. And then another giant tribe called the Menangue um, got involved, and they uh, defeated the Algonquian. They went south. The Lenin Lenape eventually uh, settled in the New York, Delaware uh, area. And uh, certain remnants of them were around up to the time of the settlers.
0: So, what happened to them? Where did they all go? If there were, I mean, do we have a handle on how many there were? And
1: uh, there was a collapse of the man builder culture, and the various Indian accounts. um, refer to natural disasters and also some sort of plague of some kind. And uh, I don't speculate in the book, but um, there was the Black Plague around that time, and we often think of the Mongols as only going in one direction. I'm beginning to think that they invaded both east and west and brought with them a disease that uh, brought an end to the
0: civilization. You mentioned a number of different races. I mean, do we have a handle on how many races? I mean, there are reports of giants worldwide. So, how many races might there have been, and and what kind of a population are we talking about?
1: Well, that's, you know, it's, uh, there are giant burial sites uh, all the way from the Canadian border. Uh, I unfortunately didn't have access to Canadian. Newspapers, I'm sure, I would have had a ton of articles about that. But there's um, in Cayuga, New York, they found 200 uh, giant skeletons, and they range from seven to nine feet. Out on the west coast in Catalina Island, um, Professor Ralph Glidden, was a curator of the Catalina Museum in the 1920s, he found 3,781 skeletons on Catalina alone, and over. 5,000 on the Channel Islands, and those averaged 7 feet, and the uh, tallest was a king that they exhumed that was 9 foot 2. Um, in Ohio and Minnesota, we have uh, burial grounds with 8 foot queens. Um, one, uh, she was buried face down. The king, who was nine four, was buried on top of her face up. Associated series of eight other mounds, they found seven nine footers and one ten footer, and an eighteen foot, eighteen uh, pound stela of sandstone with hieroglyphs on it. All this, you know, is is, is well documented.
0: When I, I mentioned Robert Wadlow, the uh, the Alton Giant, he had a
1: pituitary um, right uh, problem. You know, he had a tumor on his pituitary gland. That's gigantism the disease. Now uh, these. Any signs
0: of, of disease at all. You know? Right, because today, I mean, it's a statistical you know, anomaly, and usually, as you say, there's a, there's a pituitary issue there, and these uh, individuals that reach that height rarely live that long. Uh, they have heart uh, problems and, and so forth. I mean, it,
1: well, one of the things that, that's extraordinary about the accounts, and I think, if you, you know, just cursory going through the book, you'll notice that account after account, people are saying that the lower jaw was so big I could put it over my head and um, that the bones seem to be thicker than those of uh, modern humans. Um, Again, I don't speculate in the book, but it seems to me that we're probably talking about Cro-Magnon man here.
0: And are there accounts of of superhuman strength to go along with these 12-foot or 9-foot frames?
1: Well, there's Indian accounts uh, where they they refer to their giant ancestors uh, having the ability to... Pluck trees out at their roots, or pick up boulders and throw them. Uh, but they're mostly anecdotal.
0: You, know. you would imagine, though, that that uh, you know a, a race of giants uh, would have been able to sort of have their way. Uh, I, I just would have assumed that they would have been, you know, fierce and tremendous, uh, tremendous warriors. And yet, I guess it was the plague that that uh, that, that finally was their undoing.
1: Well seems that uh, they probably uh, were so prepossessing that no one wanted to really mess around with them. So (laughs) Instead, we have a very pastoral picture of of, uh, huge earthworks all over the place with no defensive ramparts. On the other hand, a lot of the giants are found with um, copper armor. Um, There's uh, several instances in Ohio and Indiana where they found groups of these giants, all uh, with copper helmets, copper nose pieces, copper epaulettes, copper um, bronze pieces covering their chests, um, swords, and hardened copper implements. And right. again, it mystifies the people who found these, because the copper that they're talking about is hardened in such a way that uh, it has the strength of uh, tempered steel on them
0: well we uh, we're, we're beginning to learn about this uh, huge copper operation that was going along, on along the the shores of uh, Lake Superior uh,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, I believe Lake Michigan Correct. Uh, that may have been the, the the main supply of copper for what fueled the bronze Age uh, yeah, in europe now yeah, how they got that copper over to europe I'll, uh, <laughs> i i can 't imagine, but perhaps it were it, it was primarily these giants that were doing the mining
1: well the the uh the copper mines uh, in the Keweenaw Peninsula, and that's the northern peninsula in Michigan, and most especially Isle Royale, which I, I find has a very interesting name to it.
0: <laughs> Isle Royale, <laughs> Royal yes. Yes. It's
1: literally an island of copper, and it, because of a geologic anomaly that upturned the copper and exposed it to the open air, the sulfur impurities burned off. So this copper is over 99 percent pure, and uh, they estimate that one and a half billion tons of copper were taken out of there over 10,000 year period, and they can't account for any of it um, outside of the burial finds in the Americas, which is only a small fraction. And uh, when you start putting all the other pieces together, it, you know it becomes pretty clear that uh, this copper was probably a secret source of the copper that was being sent over uh, to Europe.
0: Imagine the size of ships that would have been required, uh, and this is, you know, what maybe uh, a thousand years before Columbus. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, um, the there are um, related finds. I don't go into the book because I'm dealing with giants in this book, but up in that area, especially around Thunder Bay, Isle Royale, there's reports of megalithic dock remains um, and. Some of the articles I have in there, there's evidence of dams uh, that indicate that there was sea trade that that went uh, east uh, through the St. Lawrence Seaway and then also down the Mississippi. There's a huge uh, earthworks on the northern Louisiana border called Poverty Point that's recently been part of the World Heritage. Some estimates say there's 100,000 people there, and they found these anomalous uh, cooking balls and these other things that they couldn't quite explain. And some people are now beginning to think that they were taking the copper from Michigan during the summer and bringing it down there and making it into copper trading and and then from there exporting it.
0: Richard J. Dewhurst is the author of *The Ancient Giants Who Ruled America*, *The Missing Skeletons*, and *The Great Smithsonian Cover-Up*, and we'll get into the uh, the actual cover-up aspect uh, in just a few moments. We have a break coming up, but I want to uh, ask you. Some, I, I believe, it was the editor of *Ancient American* magazine, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but uh, he was telling me, and uh, you can sort of, I guess, separate the wheat from the chaff here. Uh, the idea that the, uh, you know, the the, the traditional Native American or Native Canadian greeting, where they would, uh, you know, an Indian would raise his the palm of his hand outwards and would say "how." Uh, that uh, the the idea was that the, the the purpose of that was is to count the fingers on somebody's hand because if they had six fingers, that meant that they belonged to this race of giants, and that the idea that these giants had. Uh, six fingers on each hand and six toes on uh, each... T- anything anything in there resembling the truth?
1: Um, in all the accounts that I compiled, I didn't run across one account of six fingers and six toes, although I did run across multiple accounts of what's called double dentition. What does that mean? Which is two rows of teeth.
0: Two rows of teeth.
1: Mm-hmm. And multiple yeah, um, accounts of two rows of teeth. I I don't discount maybe six fingers, but I I, I didn't turn
0: up any in my my research. All right, uh, let's uh, break away here for a moment. When we come back, let's sort out how the Smithsonian and other museums have been able to keep a lid on this for 150 years. Back with more of my conversation with Richard J. Dewars. Don't go away. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. I'm uh, joined by Richard J. Dewhurst, author of the Ancient Giants Who Ruled America, the Missing Skeletons, and the Great Smithsonian Cover Up. And I'm just looking at some some photos, and uh, some of these I'm sure have graced some of the uh, you know the grocery store tabloids. And it's difficult uh, to say you know whether these have been photoshopped and or which ones are legitimate. But I mean, how do we how do we when looking at photographs, uh, sort of make that determination. Uh, I mean, have, have you been? Have you satisfied that, you know, that there are uh, uh, fairly recent photos of uh, unearthed giant skeletons? Oh,
1: boy, well, you know, with Photoshop era, it becomes very problematic. And I can tell you, after World War II, the reports of the giant finds virtually disappeared in my, in my research, except for a couple that came up. The conspiracy itself can be traced back to uh, uh, the first time they established the Bureau of Ethnology at the Smithsonian, uh, which was in 1879, and Major John Wesley Powell, who was a very famous Western explorer, was. One, they estimate that Ailes Hedricka himself um, took over 30,000 skeletons uh, into the Smithsonian archives, boxed them, did not examine them, and filed them away. Because basically, any proof of red-haired, blonde-haired giants uh, brings up the whole question of European contact. Right, right. And, and so again, you're going to blow an academic Career out of the water.
0: Well, if there's one thing I've learned doing this show and speaking with people like yourself, and that is that uh, uh, Columbus wasn't first, he was probably last.
1: My research indicates that just about everybody was over here. Right. But... Um, the amount of finds in association with the mounds are, are include um, stellas with the Ten Commandments, hieroglyphs, Roman coins. Evidence of uh, China, e- India—I, <laughs> Ibe- you know, it just goes on and
0: on and on. You so know? back to how they—they—they they, they suppress this. So what happens when uh, uh, someone unearths one of these mass graves or a, a skeleton, uh, the skeletal remains of someone, let's say a twelve-foot giant, and he takes it off to uh, the, the, you know, the local museum? I mean, how? how vast was this conspiracy was it was was you know every museum curator and director uh, put on notice that if anything like this comes in bury it
1: well you know very uh, you'll get quotes from, from right after the discovery you know of a very reputable you know state museum directors and even the Smithsonian in in several instances saying this is one of the most significant finds we've we've ever encountered we hope to study this more and we're going to let you know more about it and uh, and then nothing. You know? Are there
0: um, any remains on display anywhere?
1: The closest thing I found was uh, out in Nevada, uh, the finds at the um, Lovelock Cave. And uh, those were discovered by uh, state workers that were dispatched there, two archaeologists named Wheeler, husband and wife, team, and they were excavating Bat Guano, Out of the cave, and uh, underneath that they found four giants. And those skulls were then kept within the um, State Museum um, system in Nevada. But because of the NAGPRA laws, uh, which we can get into, um, they are prohibited from exhibiting them. And uh, uh, this is common in many of the cases the, the nagpur laws were passed in 1990 and it's the native american grave protection and repatriation act and essentially it says that anytime ancient bones are found in the vicinity of an indian tribe they belong to the indian tribe and they're handed over and reburied in and um there's no display of them it was a um a mound builder burial site uh ninety miles south of Peoria. The, this man, Don Dixon, he discovered them on his farm. He was digging in 1928, I think, and started uncovering skeletons, contacted the University of Chicago, one of the most reputable universities in... in they helped him uh, examine the site. They determined that there was three to 4,000 skeletons there. He only exposed 250 of them, left them uh, in situ, and then built an exhibit around it, and it was had 75,000 visitors a year, and in 1990, when the NAGPRA laws were passed, the exhibit was closed down and uh, then reopened without any bones, and hardly anyone goes to visit.
0: Sounds like the NAGPRA laws were... a nice convenient cover for those that well, want to keep. Well,
1: someone, you know, that's that's been suggested.
0: All right, got to take a time out. We'll come back and uh, yeah. continue our discussion, Richard. The ancient g- giants who ruled America right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. just keep hearing Red Barber's immortal voice in my head The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant what you imagine a team of giants they would have you, well
1: I, I suggest to people that the common knowledge is that there were giants in New York State attributed to, to the name the New York Giants. You know?
0: Ah that's fascinating. Yeah and
1: uh, as an adjunct to what I was saying about the Nagara Laws, the other problem that we have here is that the mound builders are not officially recognized by the federal government as an Indian uh, indigenous Indian tribe.
0: Oh, isn't that interesting?
1: Because nobody's ever stepped forward and said, I'm a descendant of the mound builders therefore give uh, them protection. I often joke that uh, either Conan O'Brien or, or Bill Walton should uh, step forward.
0: That's right. <laughs> I think because we they...
1: should get Conan, you know.
0: <laughs> well, they, they they had red hair primarily, didn't yeah, they, they? they have
1: they... red hair. They're like over 6'5". That qualifies, you know.
0: Well, that, that, that uh, begs the question, you know, what would have happened? Where are the descendants? Why don't we have relatively, you know, healthy, seven-and-a-half, eight-foot, well, we do have seven-and-a-half-footers, uh, you know, in the NBA and so forth, but where sure. are the eight-, nine-foot-tall, healthy uh, descendants of these giants?
1: Well, um, again, as I said, you know, we there there's some of the accounts, that, you know, indicate that these are totally the same as us except over seven feet tall, but there's a huge amount of these accounts, you know, where they talk about the large lower jaw, the the, um, extra thickness of the skulls, the uh, overdevelopment of the leg bones, that that seem to indicate to me that, that, uh, as I said earlier, that they perhaps may be the last of the Um, Cro-Magnons.
0: Of course, the the Bible refers to to, uh, these giants as the Nephilim, uh, sort of the descendants of the uh, the commingling of the, mm -hmm. the fallen angels with the daughters of men. Right. What do you think of that?
1: I have to have put some credence to it because of the physical evidence that i've seen uh, i i in the book i include a quote from numbers where they uh, they talk about going into a strange foreign land where the sons of anak um, were and they come of giants and it says we stood before them as grasshoppers and uh I think it's very interesting. The, the sons of Anak is very similar to the Anunnaki who, of yes. the Sumerian legend. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Who were the gods? And then it's also very similar to the um, Anastasi, who are the ancient ones of the referred to as the builders of, of the cliffs, the cliff dwellings out in Arizona. And uh, also in the Copper Culture, the ancient ones up there have a very similar designation. So this Anak, Anu, Anna Seems to be Scythian, possibly tribe
0: of the Dan. There's got to be so many of these uh, skeletons still undiscovered, and you know, when someone uh, unearths one, now you know, with the proliferation of obviously you know uh, cell phones and uh, cameras and so forth, how can they continue to keep a lid on this?
1: Well, I think uh, once. People become aware of the fact that, that, that this is a reality and it's not some sort of fantasy. Then, um, one of the things I, I tried to include in the book is, is very precise physical descriptions of where these finds were located, you know, uh, exactly, you know, where on the river, whose farm it was, and so on and so forth. And I think these days, you know, as you say, with uh, YouTube and videos and everything else, if people become aware they're living in one of these areas and open their eyes to the fact that these mounds uh, may still be around, um, I'm hoping that they're going to start discovering them. On the other hand, uh, the federal government, I had a friend who lived in a ranch out in California that had been identified as an Indian archaeological site, and... He was visited twice a year by federal inspectors to make sure he wasn't doing any digging on his property. So.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And he has a mound on his property?
1: He had, he had mounds and metates and other things that, that were actually laying around on the, uh, on the surface. And he uh, never dug anywhere because he was too intimidated. <laughs> but, um, I think if people are going to find these things, they're going to have to find them um Without the cooperation of the authorities,
0: do you know? Have you been in contact with I don't know giant hunters, uh, the, the people that are interested in actually ex- excavating uh, these these sites?
1: No, but I'm hoping as a result of the book that uh, that's one of the things that comes out
0: of it. Um, I asked you earlier about you know how you you, you uh, started on this 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 journey, and um, but how did it change your life? I mean, as as you had those aha moments. And I'm not exactly sure, you know, what what they were along the on on the road. But once you had those aha moments, I mean, how did that change your life? Did it turn? I felt
1: like I, I had just fallen down the rabbit hole, literally, um, like an Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I would get done with my day's research, and and sometimes I, I would just sit there with my mouth hanging open. Uh, there was a period of time for several weeks where I I, I was. I would wake up the next morning and remember what I had discovered the day before and say, no, no, this is, right, this is just, you know, but then it just kept mounting up and mounting up, and you know, it, it finally got to a point where, where I just, uh, I was flabbergasted and, you know, and asking myself the same questions you're asking me, I mean, how is this possible? And, um, you know, there's finds in the 20th century that have been completely erased that, that you would think would have made it to our time, the Catalina finds being one of them, which is an incredible story. Another uh, giant skull was found down in Texas in 1930. It was called the biggest skull ever discovered. Ale Sedrica from the Smithsonian was involved. It was found uh, by a WPA dig in association with the University of Texas. Mm. The pictures are in my book. Um, It was front-page news. Uh, The finds out in Catalina, which uh, was from 1918 to 1930, were conducted by Professor Ralph Glidden, who was the curator of the Catalina Museum. The island was owned by the Wrigley family at the time. He identified four burial sites on Catalina itself. The one he excavated, he took out 3,781 skeletons, averaging 7 foot, tallest 9 foot 2.
0: My word, 3,000 skeletons. He a
1: megalithic temple. And uh, this was front page, I, I reproduced a Sunday Supplement front page in, in, in the book, but it was international news. And this was in the 1920s, 1930, and completely disappeared. I lived out in California for 25 years, had a great interest in Indians, read all of the, everything I could about it, never heard a word about it.
0: It's a it's a it's a wonderful example, uh, uh, a testament to the power of. What, whatever you want to call this, these these individuals, uh, these uh, uh, elites, the uh, I guess the gatekeepers that control... You know, well, the, and the
1: uh, most amazing thing about the Catalina finds is that uh, two or three years ago, you know, the museum changed hands in the 50s and became the Catalina Island Museum. And they were researching uh, an exhibit on World War II, and one of the curators found several boxes in the storage thing with the name Glidden on it, and took them out, and lo and behold, they found all of this you know, documentation and so on and so forth. <clears throat> the Los Angeles Times wrote an article about it, but in the article and in, in the other articles, they refer to Glidden as a crackpot amateur archaeologist, when in fact he was the curator of the museum and he was also the director of the Hay Foundation, which was part of the Smithsonian. Mm. And and then I, I show that the Smithsonian has in their own archives over 500 pictures of his discoveries, and the Fowler Museum in UCLA apparently has 200 skeletons.
0: Unbelievable! I'm, I'm uh, coincidentally I'm, I'm heading down to Washington uh, next week. I'm just you know if I were to walk into the into the Smithsonian uh <laughs> slip somebody a, a couple of franklins or something i don't know i mean do they still have these things you know in a warehouse somewhere or in the back back shelves and maybe they want to uh, you know look at it themselves but they keep it away from the public are they still
1: well i think there are individuals at the Smithsonian right now that are trying to pressure the institution uh, into acknowledging the wider spans of american history vis-a-vis um the Clovis and Solutrian um, uh, arrow points they found. We're getting dates now, 14,000 BC. It's throwing all of this land bridge theory um, into complete disrepute because it was, Canada was a complete glacier. We're talking that far back. And um, curiously enough, last week the Smithsonian announced that they had just completed. Digs on Santa Rosa Island, which is one of the Channel Islands that uh, Glidden had excavated, and they found 19 sites there, and they've identified uh, occupation up to 10,000 BC and the use of boats. Now, as you know, the land bridge theory says they were too stupid to have boats, but as I always say, I mean, how smart do you have to be! A log falls in a river, and you jump on top of it, and you got a boat right <laughs>
0: there. You go. This uh, just final parting question here, and that is, you mentioned you know falling down the rabbit hole, but uh, and how do you, where do you go from here? You know, after you after this is you know uh, after you discover that there was this race of giants wandering around North America, you know what do you do as a follow up, Richard?
1: I've been compiling quite a bit of information on Mexico, Central America, and South America, and and it uh, appears to continue um, the same story there. I have amazing uh, newspaper accounts from these areas. Just recently in Ecuador, um, they announced that they discovered something called the Pyramid of the Giants there, and uh, I've seen some YouTube video of it. Teotihuacan, which is the pyramid complex there, it's the legends say that they were built by the giants. And uh, there's a uh, case that I'm investigating about one of the first women Harvard uh, archaeologists. Uh, She started uh, doing digs behind and mountains behind Teotihuacan and and was coming up with extraordinary finds. And she was literally discredited and uh, run out of her profession. So
0: um, it sounds like this is, has uh, forever changed the trajectory of your life, or am I overstating things?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I have to say um, that in the last couple of years, I've had to rethink it, practically everything I know about
0: American history and mythology. Amazing story, amazing story. Uh, the Ancient Giants Who Ruled America, The Missing Skeletons, and The Great Smithsonian Cover-Up. Richard, thank you uh, so much for spending some time with me tonight, and uh, uh, congratulations.
1: Well, giant thanks, Richard. It was a pleasure talking to
0: you. All right, Richard J. Do. Du- oh, by the way, where can we get the book?
1: Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's number one uh, right now on Amazon and Kindle for both archaeology and controversial knowledge. Also, Barnes & Noble and international book-selling sites all have it.
0: All right. Thank you again. All righty. Take care. Richard J. Dewhurst. All right. Uh, my website, back up and online after several weeks, and I hope you can visit it, richardserrett.com. Hey, while you're there, subscribe to the newsletter, as yet unnamed, and as soon as I get sort of the critical mass a number of subscribers, I will start rolling out that weekly newsletter free to you. Also, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and of course... As always, follow the truth.